and you're very welcome to our service this morning. Uh, I think our summer has gone. <laughs> it's time to get the rubber dinghies out. But uh, I hope if you're going on holiday this week, I hope you have a nice time. And if you're back from holiday, I hope you feel refreshed. And uh, anybody that's watching online, I hope that, uh, that God truly blesses you through this service also. I have a few wee announcements here to make before we start our service. Valley Crocken Bible Club, as you know, is taking place from the 31st of July to the 4th of August. And this is for children going into P1, up to those who have just left P7. And flyers are available in the vestibule. Please take some and you can pass them on to family, to friends and to neighbours. Also, just a wee reminder that we're uh, keeping the prayer meetings uh, going over the summer. Um, a wee bit more spaced, but just a reminder that there's a Zoom prayer meeting um, on Tuesday the 25th, that's this Tuesday at half past seven, and then Friday morning the 28th at 11 o'clock, and you'd be very welcome uh, to join us, and uh, the, the, the code and password will be on this uh, order of service. Alpha will start on Wednesday the 27th of September, and if you'd like to be a team leader, please would you see myself or Alvin. There'll be an Alpha training evening at the church uh, this Thursday night and uh, at half past seven. And maybe you're thinking, I would maybe like to do it, but I'm not sure if I've got the confidence to do it. Feel free to come along to the training evening, see what it's like, and if you want to decide to do it or not to do it, that's up to you. And, but there's also, uh, you may find that you're, you're not able to commit every week to Alpha, and there are other wee jobs that need to be done. We're going to have a, a, an evening where there's desserts, and anybody that can bake a wee bit, uh, that would be really appreciated. And also the first evening, just to make everyone feel so welcome, uh, we're trying to get even more people in to just try and to welcome them and make sure that they feel that warm welcome from us. Communicant classes will start on Thursday the 14th of September at half past seven. And if you'd like to become a new communicant, or if you'd like a refresher course of what it means to come around the Lord's table, would love to see you there. And uh, there's, a, there's a sheet at the back in the vestibule. If you just put your, your name and your phone number, um, I'll be in touch with you. Uh, the mission visit to Rwanda in 2024, um, that could be a very exciting mission and a mission trip. And anyone that's in the congregation who would be interested in being a part of that, uh, would you please contact Tom Shaw, uh, Brian Gartland, or George Crawford? Uh, the deadline really is today. Uh, if you just make sure, if you're thinking about it, you don't have to decide to commit to it. It's just a matter of, of getting folk together to see what the interest is and for those that are interested to find out a wee bit more about it and what's going to entail. So please let Tom Shaw, Brian Garland, or George Crawford know today if you can. Uh, church banking arrangements, just please note in deta the details in today's order of service. If you need any further information, please speak to Isabel Walker, our treasurer. So today's theme in the service, which really should be every week's theme, is exalting Jesus. Exalting Jesus. So I'm uh, going to read to you from um, Psalm 96, verses 4 to 9. 
For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, or as the King James Version would say, in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. And that's what I'm wanting to do today. I want to exalt Jesus Christ. And you can see at the front that Rini has done a banner for me. Uh, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God wants to meet with us today. And we want to meet with God today. We want to connect with God. We don't want a dead religion. We want a living relationship. So let's just pray a moment. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your Spirit who makes um, a revelation to our hearts, the reality of who God is, of who Jesus is. And I pray, Lord, that as we come and we recognize how sinful we are and unholy we are, we recognize how holy you are. But we thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin and allows us to come into your presence and to know that true place of peace and worship before you. I pray, Lord, that you would be exalted today. And Lord, as you are exalted and lifted high, would you draw us, draw us in close relationship with you, draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to read a wee passage from Revelation before we, we begin to, to sing. Revelation uh, 4, verses 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. It was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy. The Hebrew term holy means to be set apart. God, you're set apart. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And this is the word of God. We're going to stand and we're going to sing holy, holy, no, sorry, we're going to remain seated. And we have, a, a, it's a video at the moment, and you can, if you know the song, please sing along. If you don't, just sit and reflect upon it and just sense the presence of God, still our hearts in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy. 
I'd like to, to read for you from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Unfortunately, my wee remote control uh, isn't working this morning, so we'll have to stand up here and do it by hand. But let me just explain to you um, the song of the vineyard, this, these few verses are called. It's, it's basically a, a song where God has, has created a vineyard. It's been his vineyard. And uh, God has done everything he possibly could to bring forth good grapes. But after so much fertilizing and so much care and so much looking after, he comes excited to find the, um, good grapes, but instead he finds sour grapes and bad grapes. And it's explaining the house of Israel, how God has put so much into God's people, and yet they turn away from him. So let me just read this a wee minute. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could, I have, could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. Be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. So I want to ask you a question. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it's about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When, when you read that, is there anyone in particular you think of? Who do you think of when you read that? Any one person in particular? When I read that, I think of Jesus. Jesus full of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, that's the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, that's his character. He naturally bears those things. He naturally, that's his person. Now, same question for this. When we read in James 3, verses 17 to 18, about wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering, steadfast, without hypocrisy. When I read those words, I think again of Jesus. I think of him. He is full of mercy. He shows mercy to me when I don't deserve it. He's full of goodness, purity, peacefulness. That's Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but my own experience is that often I feel God. In fact, every day I would say, I feel God. And sometimes it gets very frustrating, and I feel like Paul, who says, um, I do not understand 
What I do for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. The things I really want to do for God, I end up not doing them. And the things I don't want to do because I know they dishonor God, those things I do. And the frustration of it, and the difficulty of it. And now, whenever I was young, I don't do much gardening today, but when I was younger, uh, my next door neighbor gave me a tomato plant, and I started, I loved it. It was amazing, my first tomato plant. And so it ended up, I got, we got a wee greenhouse, and we got a lot of tomato plants every year. Now, the man next door, he knew where to go for the tomato plants. Now, I don't understand much about this, but we had to go up the Gilnerk Road, and there was a greenhouse there with this man, um, used to grow uh, tomato plants, and the ones that we would get, they were, called, they were grafted. Now, what that meant was that there was a weak tomato plant, but there was a stronger tomato plant. And he grafted the weak tomato plant into the stronger one so that it would grow and be more uh, courageous and, and, and str strong and brave against the weather. So it was the weak one was grafted into uh, the, the, the strong one. And then, so if we come back to the picture of the vineyard again, Jesus speaks about the vineyard again. He speaks about it in John 15, but he says this time, this time instead of the vineyard failing because it depended on man, this time Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're gonna be the branches. And the sap that comes from me, all of the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the self-control and the strength that comes from me, I will pass into you. He says, he who abides in me. Now, the little word in in the Greek, it does, it's not just in. It means into, grafted into. He who abides, who's grafted into me will bear much fruit. And he talks about um, abiding in his love, abiding in his words. Let's have another wee look. Grafted into me. When we trust in Jesus Christ, and so many people think that it's hard to be a Christian, and it can be if you're living in your own strength in it. I feel every day I feel every day. Sometimes there's things I want to do I don't do. There's sometimes there's things I don't do and I want to do. And I feel, and I need to remind myself that I'm grafted into Jesus and he can bear the fruit of his character through me. So he can bear the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the self-control. He can bear them through me. I often wonder why Paul used that term fruit rather than flowers, blossoms, you know, you can blossom. You could, you could have used that, you know, but the reason I believe he used the term fruit was is because other people can feed off the fruit. They can feed off the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness that can feed off it as we're grafted into him. But particularly this morning, I want you to realize, Jesus says, abide in me, but not only that, abide in my words. It'll help you to know how to pray. 
and abide in my love. Do you know one of the most special things in the whole, old old, whole of the New Testament is when Jesus says to his disciples, as my Father has loved me, so I love you. That's a massive. Can you imagine how much love the Father has for his own Son? And he says, that's the kind of love, that's the amount of love that I have for you. And he says, abide in my love, be grafted into my love, enjoy it, bathe in it, be reassured by it. You know, one of the most special things also, this, this chapter's full of special things, but Jesus sets his disciples down and he says, I have called you friends. Greater love he's pointed out to them and that no one has than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he then turns to them and he says, you are my friends. I don't call you the servants anymore. I call you my friends because what the Father tells me, I tell you, I call you my friends. What an incredible privilege. And he says, I've called you my friend, I've called you friends for all things I heard from my Father have made known to you. If you're trusting Christ this morning, if you're trusting Christ as your Savior this morning, you're his friend. And you can bear the fruit that he bears, and you can bear it so others can feed off you. As, he, as you're grafted into him, as you're trusting in him, as you're, f like often I just have to come and cry out to God because I know my own sin, I know my own weaknesses, and I have to be regrafted and re-strengthened in him. So I hope you take home today two things that Christ is there for you. To, if you're thinking of being a Christian, you think I could never do it. Christ has got the strength to live it through you. But secondly, to realize that Christ loves you as much as he does, as much as the Father loves him, which is massive, massive. So we're, go we're going to, um, hold on, I've got my sheet down here. We're going to sing now. Um, we're going to sing Jesus, we enthrone you. And let's, let's not just sing the words. Let's mean it from our hearts that we want him to be first in our lives. Thank you for what you've done. Let's just exalt him for what he's done and given for, to us. Okay.
Now, the Sunday Club and the Bible class are, are free to go now, if they so wish. And your offering will be received. Thank you. Let's pray. Generous God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, at your table we present this money, symbol of the work you've given us to do. We pray that you'd use it, use us, in the service of your world, to the glory of your name. Amen. and we're going to sing Majesty, worship His Majesty.
want to read Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 uh, to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. There's something about Jesus. Setting aside the fact that he's the Son of God, there's still something about this man of Nazareth. Simply look at the reactions of people who meet him and you'll see it. If Jesus was to turn up at your door, physically turn up at your door, and you didn't know at all who he was, I'm convinced that such an encounter would engrave itself in your memory and in your soul for the rest of your days. Because there's just something about Jesus which has that effect on people. The Hebrew word for holy, as I've said, means to be set apart. There's something that sets him apart, something that's different about him in his actions, in his reactions, in his attitudes, in how he speaks, and in what he does. There's just something about Jesus. He comes walking along the shore at Capernaum, and this is Simon and Andrew's first encounter with them. They're they're casting their nets into the sea. They're fishermen. And Mark, in his gospel, he puts it very succinctly and abruptly as this. He says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And we're told they immediately left their nets and followed him. You just don't make that sort of decision on the spare of a moment. To go and leave and follow someone. We know Peter had a, had a wife. He possibly had a family. Um, but to make such an on-the-spot decision after one fishing trip with Jesus, without knowing who Jesus really was, Jesus must have had an incredible effect on them men. Then on another occasion, arriving in Capernaum, the word gets around, we're told that Jesus is in a particular house, possibly Peter's house. That's where Peter lived. And we're told, again by Mark, it was noised that he was in the house. And I love that phrase, it was noised, uh, like a noise of bumblebees round the town, in the shops, in the marketplaces. Jesus is in town. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And before you know it, the house is packed full of people and they can't fit anymore in. And we're told that four friends bring a paralyzed friend and lower them down through the roof because they can't get in the door. But this wasn't a one-off. As he taught throughout Judea and Samaria, people came in their thousands and they flocked to hear him. And he fed them all, not just spiritually, but he fed them on occasions physically, five loaves, two fish. What an effect. There's something about this man of Nazareth that has an effect on people. Something very special. You know, 
Jesus even is willing to stand against public opinion. He wasn't afraid to lose favor by loving the unlovable. Zacchaeus comes to mind, a man hated by many but loved by Jesus. And I'm sure many very important figures would have loved for Jesus to come to their house and go, wow, he's come to my house and not yours. But Jesus picked Zacchaeus, the man possibly most hated in the whole city, and Jesus comes to his house. You see, Jesus, he brings a hope. He brings hope into people's lives. There's something about him. Setting aside the fact that he is the Son of God, there's something about this man, the fruit that he bears, the love and the joy and the peace and the peace. It's evident there's something special about him. You know, like the woman who was caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus and say, what should we do with this woman? Everybody's standing with stones in their hands. They know what they want to do. And they say, Jesus, what should we do? It says anyone like that should be stoned to death. Anyone caught in adultery should be stoned to death. And Jesus very calmly, drawing in the sand, he challenges them with a question or with a challenge. He says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, Jesus was the only one there who could have condemned her because he was the only one there without sin, but he chooses not to. And he tells the woman, go and sin no more. There's something about this man of Nazareth. You have to agree with that, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, a believer or an atheist. There is definitely something special about this man, something that stands out. He is holy, he is set apart, and we worship him in the beauty of holiness. What is it about him? Well, it's God all about him, and it's all God through every pore of his being. God is about him. We're told in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As Paul writes, he'd taken on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. He's with us. And he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus is touching you, God is touching you. When Jesus is touching you, God is touching you. And in Matthew 18, Jesus himself in one line explains the reason he has come. In verse 11, he says, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And we're all lost until Christ comes to us. Luke 15, some scribes and Pharisees, some religious leaders, they're complaining about Jesus mixing with sinners. What's he doing that for? That's awful. That's terrible. They're biting back, biting him. They're pointing the finger at him. What's he doing that for? And Jesus challenges this man with a, a parable about a lost sheep. 
He says, what man of you as farmers having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that was lost? How many people here would not do that as farmers? Each of us are lost, including the religious leaders that he's talking to. Each of us are lost until Christ finds us. You know, the hardest person to reach is the person who doesn't realize they're lost. The person who doesn't realize that they've offended God in any way at all in their lives. But that's what the parable of the tax collector and Pharisee is about. Both go to the temple to pray. And the tax collector, he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And he's a broken-hearted man. While the Pharisee turns around and says to God, thank you, God, I'm not like him. Who leaves that temple justified, forgiven? Well, it's the tax collector, of course. The Son of Man comes to save that which is lost, and we're all lost. All have sinned, we're told, and fallen short of the, of the glory of God or the standards of God. We, we can try our best. We can go to church. We can give in offerings. We can serve in the church. We can sing in the choir. We can do all of those things. We can do all of those things, but we still, none of them brings us within any range of God's mercy and love. It's only whenever we come broken before God and realize there's nothing I can do to save my own soul. There's nothing I can do that deals with my own sin. Lord, please forgive me. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my Lord. Without you, I'm lost. But when Jesus finds that lost sheep, <laughs> there's a big grin on his face when the shepherd finds that sheep and he comes home and he calls the neighbors and he calls his friends and he calls everybody together and he says, come on, we're going to celebrate because this one was lost and I'll find him. He's safe. She's safe. And we're going to have a party. And Jesus says, Oh dear goodness. I'm picking something up there. Uh, <laughs> okay. But whenever he, when Jesus says, when one sinner repents, one person comes to faith, there's a party goes on in heaven. Jesus is going, Yes, Mark Shaw's finally come back. He's come to me. Come to faith. There's a celebration. You know, that's, that's why Jesus came, that he might be your shepherd, that he might be your savior. That's why he came to restore God's image in you again, to make you his child. That's why he came to bring you home at some point. That's why he came for the fishermen. That's why he came for Zacchaeus. That's why he came for the woman at the well. And that's why he came for the leper in the valley and for the woman in the street. And that's why he came for the, for the thief on the cross. That's why he came for you. And that's why he came for me. 
Jesus has brought healing and forgiveness like no one else ever has and no one else ever will. Jesus is God with shoes on, and he walks our road with us. Christianity is about nothing less than the presence of Jesus with us. And that's very precious. That's very precious. Nothing else in this world can come anywhere near to how precious that is. There's nothing as precious as the presence of Christ with you now, with you tomorrow, with you in the A&E ward, with you going down for that urge, uh, surgery, with you going for that chemotherapy, Christ's presence. Nothing more precious than his presence. And that's what he came to give, Emmanuel, God with us. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like treasure hidden in a field. What a man, when a man found it, he hid it, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. What this man finds makes him go and sell everything he owns in order to buy that field. Nothing he owns, as her ever has owned, satisfies his soul. Nothing he owns comes close to this. Nothing. You know, there are millions of people out there, bless them, and they're doing the lottery every week, hoping that they can win a different way of life for themselves. But even if they do, it's just still more of the same stuff. The writer of Ecclesiastes writes, everything under the sun, doesn't mean Jesus at that point, it's the sun as in this big ball in the sky. Everything under the sun is meaningless. It's only the one who is above the sun that brings meaning down into our everyday lives. It's only he that is above the sun. And as we're going through difficult times and it's a rough storms, we're highs and lows, we're tired, we're strong, we're going through different emotions, but it's only he that is above the sun that gives meaning to us down here and what we do down here. So when this man finds this treasure in the field, the treasure being the kingdom of God and a relationship with Christ as the center of that kingdom, everything else that he owns fades into insignificance. Jesus reiterates this point again by another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He's looking and he's searching and he's looking and he's searching and he hasn't found one that's of any decent value, but when he finds one, he goes and he sells everything and he buys it. You can find nothing more precious than the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And what's more, that's the only thing that you can take with you into eternity. During my ministry, I have done many funerals, 
many funerals, and I've never seen a hearse with a trailer on the back. You can't take anything with you. Only the presence of Jesus, if you're trusting him as Lord and a Savior. And if he's your Savior, if he is your Savior, he's your shepherd also. And when the time comes, Psalm 23, verse 4, will mean everything to you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. You're with me. That's all I've got going into eternity, but it's all I need going into eternity. You're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. In fact, when the time comes, Jesus Christ as your Savior and your shepherd will be the only thing, will be the only thing which will be of any value to you at all. Because there's nothing else or no one else who can lead you through that valley. You either go with them or you go without them. And that's why Jesus, finding Jesus and him finding us is the most precious thing you can ever know this side of eternity. You know, it's wonderful that we can know Christ today and we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We can know him today. We can know that assurance of salvation today. We can know his presence today. I love the story of the two disciples. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. Their heads are down. Their shoulders are bent. Their, their body language tells Jesus that they are sad. And Jesus comes over to them and he says, what sort of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and you're so sad? And they begin to share their hearts with him and their feelings of grief, their doubts, their reticence to believe. And Jesus then begins to share the scriptures with them concerning himself, about his coming, about his suffering, about his death. And as he breaks bread with them in their home, they suddenly recognize him. And what a moment it is, they start to run their way back to Jerusalem to the other disciples. But they say to one another, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures. Were our hearts not burning? And it's wonderful that we can know that heart burning today. It's him we worship in the beauty of holiness. There is no one like him. He is holy. He is set apart. He's our prince of peace. He's our bright morning star. Even when all seems dark, he shines in the darkness as a living hope. He is God incarnate. God come to us. God on the road with us. We were created to worship God. And when we don't, there's a massive gap in our hearts a massive void, and we try to fill that void with so many things, but none of them fill the void. We were created to be dependent on God. 
We're not created. God did not create you to cope with this life on your own. We were created to be dependent and interdependent on him every day. And when we don't, when we don't, there's a massive void, there's an emptiness, a sense of isolation, a sense of aloneness. Finally, the prodigal son always felt the grass was always greener somewhere else. He thinks that what he needs is out there when what he needed was right in front of him, his father. And having squandered a lot of money and with a sack full of regrets, he returns home to ask forgiveness from his father and experience that embrace from his father. I bet you that was the best hug he ever felt his whole life. And he's home. And when we come to faith in Christ, we come to the Father also, and we're home. That's it. We're doing what we were created to do, worship him and have a relationship with him. That's what he created us for. You know, if there's anyone here that would like to talk to me about anything that I've said, or like to talk about coming to faith in Christ, or maybe difficulties or obstacles that you have about it, please feel free to talk to me. Stay, stay behind the service, or, the service or, 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 or ring me, and I'll come out, and I'll sit and chat. I'm only too happy to do that. Um, but let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Like Isaiah, Lord, when we come into your presence, when he came in, he realized how sin-stained he was. Please draw us, Lord Jesus, into your presence. Draw us closer to yourself. Show us sin stains that we may know to, when we know to confess and, and find cleansing. We want to know, Lord, what's offending you that we might put it right. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Draw us, Jesus, closer to yourself. Cleanse our hearts and leave us with one attitude, the attitude of complete surrender to do your will and to glorify your name in all we do. Lord, the people in the Old Testament were told to sing a new song unto the Lord, yet we have an even newer and a greater song to sing, the song of life in you, Lord Jesus. You've called us not servants, but friends. And we thank you that you're a friend who sticks closer to us than a brother. You're the one who laid down his life for us, laid down his life for his friends. Draw us close, Jesus, to you. Forgive us when sin raises its head in our lives. Please help us when we fail you. And sometimes we think that there's a sin that's been defeated and, it, and then it raises its ugly head again. But we thank you that we when we confess our sins, you are faithful, you're just, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the cost of the blood of Christ, which was shed. Please forgive us when we take that for granted. 
We thank you that because of your shed blood, when we confess our sins, you cast our sins from us. Far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. O Lord, our Lord Jesus, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've crowned us with glory and honor. Your image by your presence is being restored in us. Please, Lord, show us as a church how to pray. And give us each a heart for worship to bless and delight your heart. Forgive us when at times our lips sing your praise, but our hearts are far from you. Please draw us, Jesus, closer and closer to you. Give us a hunger that only your presence will satisfy. And when we stand in glory, we will see your face, and there, will, there we'll see our King forever in that holy place. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are the Messiah. You have been blasphemed against. Many cruel words have been said against you. May our words in worship be as a healing ointment to your hurting heart, Lord. We want to profess our love for you this morning. We love you, Lord, and we could never repay what you've done for us. May the Holy Spirit be free in this place to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You, O Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are a great God, a great King above all gods. Soften our hearts in this place. May we not miss the day of your visitation. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song will rise to you. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, only you are holy, only you are set apart. There is no one beside you. Lord Jesus, draw us, draw us, draw us close. Graft us into yourself that we might abide in your words, abide in your love, abide in you, in your priceless name. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we close our service with Christ triumphant.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.